Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show and this special edition. Jess is out today, but I have Charles, excuse me, Joshua Charles here, who's a convert to the Catholic faith. Wow, Joshua, thanks for taking the time to share your, your love for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate the invitation. And I love the fact that over the last 40-some years, I've met hundreds of people personally uh, tell me their story of how they walked into the church, and I don't know of one that's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. But there are. Well, some... I forget how G.K. Chesterton oh, yeah. referred to. He said that the church is like the house with a thousand doors or that's something right. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he did. And I just wanted to. Uh, this is a special edition. We're gonna take the whole hour to talk about two things. One, your walk into the church, and also I want to tease people about what you're planning to do in helping people fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and His Bride, the Church. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit, Joshua, about the background, where you came from, and then let's get into how you came into the church, please. Sure, thanks. Um, no, I grew up in a Protestant household. Mm -hmm. We were pretty non-denominational. We went to Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Reformed churches, non-denominational churches. So we were non-denominational in the sense that we didn't feel a particular loyalty to any of them. It just wherever seemed the most biblical. And, you know, usually the um, the litmus test for that would be, are they holding the line on things like marriage and abortion? And wow. and beyond that, you know, as long as they consider Jesus God, <laughs> which is the vast majority, sure. uh, you know, believe the Bible was the inspired word of God and, and treated it as such, you know, wherever there was a good community, we were fine with. So I would and consider, so, I'm going to interrupt this, I would consider that very conservative with inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. You weren't on a liberal part of uh, Protestantism. So, no. So be, doing, having that background, uh, what was your take before you looked at the Catholic Church? I just want to understand, how did you see the Catholic Church as a very traditional Protestant? I wouldn't say I was very traditional. They're, they're, the only reason why is because there'd be other Protestants who would be more high church Protestants it, who, high who would probably consider themselves like more traditional. I get it. But yeah, we were we were conservative. I think that's a good word for it. And, uh, you know, I had an aunt at the time who was Catholic and she still is Catholic. She's thrilled that I've come into the church. <laughs> I and, bet. But, uh, you know, it, it I didn't really know what to think of it. I only knew it was kind of in the cultural air we breathe that yeah. the Catholic church was... You know, I didn't have a super anti-Catholic view, but it was like quasi-pagan, quasi-apostate. You know, we kind of had general a general sense of the so-called Reformation story, sure. and and that Luther was kind of sticking it to the man, and and good riddance that we left those guys. And so, but it, 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 when I was younger, it tended to be a fairly vague, uh, but very palpable sense of you know, okay, they're nice people, but we're fine to be separate from them. You know, sure. So, so knowing that, Joshua, uh, what got your interest in even looking at the Catholic Church? <laughs> well, it was preceded by uh, many, many years of oh. studying Scripture. So I took I took the Bible very seriously, Good. took my faith very seriously since I was a little kid. Just to give you an idea of how seriously. Um, sure. Yeah, it, it's um, there was a book that was called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, who's a well-known evangelical theologian. It's very, it's a very respected resource. Mm -hmm. And he kind of goes through all the different doctrines. And, you know, there's a decent amount in there that we as Catholics would agree with. Of course, of course. But I was reading that with a discipler in sixth grade. Now, I'm Incredible. not claiming I... 
incredible. Yeah, I'm not I'm not claiming I understood all of it, but but I loved getting study Bibles. I had an uncle still he's still alive, um, who I would have multi-hour conversations with about the Bible and awesome. I'd take notes. And so I just always loved the Bible, always took it seriously. Uh, always loved to read, so so I would also get into things like apologetics. I don't know if you uh, knew the name of uh, Ravi Zacharias. Of course. Yeah, he recently passed, and unfortunately, a lot of word came out about some scandals. Mm. But uh, Josh McDowell. Of course, I know that name. D.S. Lewis, of course. So I just, you know, I read a lot of these guys, sure. took my faith very seriously. Increasingly, as I got older, read more Luther and Calvin. Oh, okay. Um, again, wasn't fully convinced by anything that any particular Protestant denomination said, but always loved the Bible, always knew that if uh, if God was real, if Jesus Christ was real, then it would have to basically dictate everything in my life. Uh, you wanted, I wanted to orient my whole life to the truth. That's awesome. And so I think I would say my journey to the church began a decade before I even started reading the church fathers. What? <laughs> yeah, I said, I mean, that I'm being a bit loose, but I'll give one example. Yeah. Uh, this would be even earlier. So when I was a teenager, I, I'm a concert pianist. I studied it in college. And, wow. And so as a teenager, I would give piano lessons to earn money. Sure, why not? And so I saved up money to buy more Bible, uh, study Bibles. I love this guy. <laughs> this is and in particular, not, not always, but but in particular, I was I remember I was about 16. I think I was 15 or 16. And there was a verse in John, John 20, 23. Of course. Where Jesus said. I know the one. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Where Jesus said to the apostles, and you breathe the Holy Spirit on them and says, whoever sins you forgive or forgiven, who's ever sins you retain or retain. That made absolutely zero sense to me. I bet. (laughs) And I I saw some commentary in one Protestant Bible that basically said it doesn't mean what it clearly says. And so... (laughs) And so I was, I was like, no, no, no. There's got to be a better answer to this. And I've, I had zero idea of Catholicism in my mind. Wow. And so I saved up. I think it was the John MacArthur oh, Study Bible or the Reformation Study Bible, one of those. And you know, it was sixty dollars, which well, back money. then was a lot of money for me. Oh, and and so I saved up. I got it. I was so excited. It arrives. I'd waited like a week or whatever for shipping, and it was there. And I go right to that verse no comment. <laughs> so, wow. so, so, you know, even, even like that sort of thing, I would read very carefully. I'd be like, if all of our, you know, many Protestants believe not all, but many Protestants believe that when, when you accept Jesus, yeah. you know, that all your past, present and future sins are forgiven. Right. And so that was one idea, especially in evangelicalism and uh, even Calvinistic ideas of perseverance of the saints and whatnot, they wouldn't say that we don't need to repent once we sin, but that when we're justified, when the elect are justified, they're forever covered, essentially. And even when they grievously sin, as some of the Calvinistic confessions like the Westminster of 1647 say, even if they grievously sin, um, that the, the seed of the Holy Spirit within them will keep them and persevere them and it doesn't affect their status before God, if the, even if they grievously sin. So, but I would, so I would read this, and I'd be like, "Why would Jesus give the apostles authority like that?" I thought that was kind of anathema to us Protestants. Yes. And uh, and but then even small details like reading the Lord's Prayer. Yes. He says, "Forgive us our trespasses, so that we, uh, as we forgive those who trespass against us." I was like, "Okay, well, I thought all my trespasses were forgiven, essentially." And then he would say, well, uh, if you don't forgive 
if you don't forgive others, my father in heaven won't forgive you. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Where? So, you know, just these, these verses would pile up, pile up, pile up yep. where I just couldn't make sense of virtually any Protestant paradigm sure, from scripture. Sure. Uh, and it eventually got worse and worse because I couldn't over those 10 years starting in my early twenties, I couldn't make sense of Paul and Christ. If Paul meant what Protestantism claimed he meant, yes, uh, you know, that through faith alone, mm -hmm. our salvation is secured and there's no, now again, this isn't every Protestant sect. So I, you know, sure. that, but yeah. that's also part of the problem that I can't, yeah. I can't say what in fact we believe, you know, in Protestantism because it's so divided. But 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 the the tradition I was more more connected to in Protestantism was once saved always saved sure. perseverance of the saints, and so there were just so many things in Scripture that didn't make I couldn't make sense of Paul and Christ I couldn't make sense of Paul and Paul other oh, parts okay. of Paul if if Protestantism was true, so I kept studying studying keep thinking there was a smarter guy who had figured it out, <laughs> uh, you know there are many many authors on that and so I did but I just kept it just wasn't making sense and then I would look at how. You know, many Protestants say, you know, accept Jesus into your heart, you know, kind of the sinner's prayer kind of sure, thing. Sure. And and that wasn't in scripture. Uh, when I would look at, you know, I would do a lot of evangelizing in college. Sure. And atheists would want to know, well, which church do I go to? And I didn't have a principled answer for them, except the one that I thought, you know, mine, that had the best interpretation of scripture. But it's like, who am I? Who? Why the heck should he rely on me? as the uh not infallible but as the interpreter like what who am i uh, you know we're 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 2000 years past jesus here so so you know i'm a little late and so uh that led to a crisis because i saw that in scripture when there was a theological controversy the apostles and the elders they had already begun to appoint gathered and mm -hmm. rendered a verdict yep. uh on the issue in acts uh 15 the council of jerusalem yep. And they rendered it with divine authority. It said it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. And initially, I kind of blew this off because, like, well, that's just those are just apostles. Uh, but when you read it carefully, it's not just apostles. It, they're including those leaders they had already begun to appoint. Yes, non-apostles were being included in the claim that it seemed good to us and to God that. And then they rendered the decision. It's like. We have nothing like that in yeah, Protestantism. You're not so we all claim to be Bible churches, but we're not doing anything like what's actually in the Bible. And then another example would be. Hold your thought. I want to hear that next example yeah. when we come back on this break. We're talking to Joshua Charles, convert to the Catholic faith, has a great story of how he walked himself into the church for the grace of God. Uh, so when we come back, we'll uh, have him give another example here. Stay with us, family. You're listening to the very best show on Virgin. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jess is out today. Joshua Charles is my guest. He's a convert to the Catholic faith. And... Uh, Joshua, you were in the middle of sharing another uh, point, and we got interrupted from the break. So let's continue, please. Sure. No, the point was that uh, I was just describing how all these things that a variety of Protestant denominations kind of took for granted, I wasn't finding in Scripture. And I right. specifically pointed to the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, where the apostles and the leaders they'd already begun to appoint rendered a verdict on a theological controversy right. with divine authority. It's like, we don't have that. 
And then another thing was, you know, kind of the modus operandi among many Protestants is, well, if there's something we need to understand, we just kind of get in our Bible studies or we study it ourselves, and we just kind of come to a conclusion. And as long as your conclusion is in good faith and, and you know, seemingly within a broad range of possibilities, then that was just fine. I didn't see anything like that in Scripture. In fact, Paul is very clear to men like Titus and Timothy that they have the authority to teach. Right. And the men that they lay hands on have the authority to teach. There's nothing in Scripture about laymen who have not been appointed by apostles or appointed by those they appointed uh, who have the authority to teach and just get the Bible on their own, which no one could really do back then because of lack of printing and whatnot. So in, in any event, I just saw over and over many, many examples and big details and in small that uh, the Protestant paradigm was just not in Scripture, and I hadn't read a single Catholic. Right. I was just reading Scripture carefully, and 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 so again, I wasn't thinking, "Oh, therefore the Catholic Church is right." That wasn't even in my no, mind. No. I was just realizing that th there there is no way to arrive at certainty. It, yeah. Ultimately, it was about love. I mean, Jesus said, "If yeah. you want to, if you want to love me, you'll obey my commandments, or yeah. if you love me, you'll obey my commandments." And he says, if, you, if you'll abide in my love by obeying my commandments. And I wanted to love Christ, but I couldn't do that when the best I could get was the, the opinion of a good learned man over here versus the opinion of a good learned man over there versus the opinion of a good learned woman over there. So th there was no method of actually arriving at what the truth actually was. The furthest you could get was a well-intended opinion. Can I ask that you this? It. Can I ask you, did it ever cross your mind to think back and say, you know what, I'm going to go back to the beginning of Christianity or the early time of Christianity to say, how was it then? And maybe even go back to what we call the fathers of the church, um, you know, to look at what was Christianity in the first couple centuries and even a thousand years ago. Did that cross your mind to look back before Protestantism? I'm kind of ashamed to say, no, it really didn't. And, and it doesn't for many Protestants, mm. although many converts, as I'm sure you've met many over the years. Yes. I would say probably the vast majority I've heard of. Yes. Or, or no, this is precisely what did it for them. So you'll, you'll like the, how this happened, though. So <laughs> I was working at the Museum of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And basically, I was at the Museum of the Bible full time. I worked from home. But I had met with uh, Steve Green, the is, CEO me, of this, Hobby Lobby. Is this the one in Washington, D.C.? Yeah. Okay, yeah. another one. Great. Good yeah. So I had met with Steve Green, who's the CEO of Hobby Lobby. Great guy. Oh, yeah. And I had had this idea for many years of if we could take a Bible and somehow through quotes and pictures and stories. I'm a big original sources guy. So I read, you know, you can probably see some of the books behind I'm you. looking all, at them. Yeah, they're all original sources. So things like, you know, if I'm studying America, I actually read the writings of great Americans. If I'm studying the church, I'm actually reading the writings of the fathers. I mean, it's just always so much more interesting. Yeah. Secondary, you know, summary books can be helpful, but I, I much prefer, you know, putting the emphasis on the original sources. So anyway, he loved this idea. And he was like, hey, come to the Museum of the Bible and let this be your, your big project. I was like, great. So I had just finished up that project, you know, as you, you've probably done some books or know people who have, there's usually a, a several month delay. That's right. Between when the manuscript's done, when you print. Yep. And then that was in uh, May of 2017. Mm -hmm. And the building in DC was going to be opening in November, 2017. And so my boss basically said, Josh, we're all a hundred percent focused on getting the building ready. Yeah. So why don't you just basically research what you want and we'll make it into exhibits after we're open. Oh, okay. 
I was like, great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I had always seen this multi-volume set of the church fathers. I didn't really know who the church fathers were, Wow. Uh, but I'm a bibliophile. So anytime I see a multi-volume set, I don't care what it's about. I'm just like, I want it, you know? Um, <laughs> and so, but it had always been too expensive, you know, cause sure. it, I think at one time it was like two or three months worth of rent for me in college, which oh I just couldn't God. afford. So I just finished law school and I waited till I moved back to California. Cause I was, I was already transporting hundreds of books. So I was not going to add, you know, 38 yeah. hardcover, <laughs> heavy volumes to that. And so I, I so I kind of that was like my graduating law school gift to myself. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I I'll probably find some interesting stories, some martyrdom accounts, some interesting uses of the Bible. I I truly and honestly had no conception wow. of what of what ancient Christianity was like. I, I figured I figured it was something like not that it was exactly like what I had, but maybe, maybe like it was just a bunch of Christians doing their best to understand the Bible. That's what I figured it was like. And boy, was I wrong. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, so I open up the first volume, the Apostolic Fathers. Sure. I forget to this day whether I first read Clement of Rome or Ignatius of Antioch, but I read them very close yep. to, to this. My confirmation saying is St. Ignatius of Antioch. He's wow. a disciple of St. John. Yeah. I call him St. Ignatius the Red Pill, which if you don't, <laughs> I do guess. you know that term? Of course I do. Oh, okay. Well, it seems like more of a more of a millennial and Gen Z kind of a term. Know, but I've so. heard it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So St. Ignatius the Red Pill. You know, if for people who maybe don't know in your audience, the yeah. Red Pill is a reference to the movie The Matrix. That's right. In 1999, where Morpheus, this mysterious character bearing wisdom, apparently, goes to Neo yep. and he holds two pills in his hands. Yep. One's a blue pill, one's a red pill. And he basically says, if you want to take the blue pill, you can keep going on living your life, but it's a fantasy, basically. And if you want to take the red pill, you'll basically see how far the rabbit hole goes. Yep. And so you'll you'll know the truth, but it may not be totally pleasant, sure. which was exactly what happened to me. I, I hated I hated realizing what was actually true at first. Wow. So anyway, I started reading the fathers and I was immediately slapped across the face <laughs> with how Catholic they were. Yeah. And not only were did they sound Catholic, but they referred to the Catholic Church. Joshua, were you were, were you tempted to close the book? No. Good. So because you because I've I I I don't mean it in a self serving way, but I've yeah. always searched for truth. As hey, I was telling you, it's, it's always been a great Good. concern of mine. I was worried. <laughs> um, but again, at this point, one thing I left out earlier sure. uh, that this crisis of being able to reconcile Paul and Christ and yeah. Paul and other parts of Paul and whatnot, I just couldn't do it within the Protestant framework. So for the final two years of law school, I I didn't evangelize. I even stopped dating. One of the reasons I went to the law school I went to, Regent University, yeah. was so that hopefully I could meet a, a good Christian woman and potentially get married. Yeah. And so I stopped doing I stopped dating because I knew that if I was going to be married, I would have to lead my family. And I've actually had a number of friends who have gone through this journey, not finalized it, gotten married, and I, I believe God will pull them through. But boy, oh boy, has that been difficult. And oh. so, and, and I, I've known it's kind of broken some marriages I on occasion as well. So, so I, I, I knew that if I if I couldn't properly lead my wife and children, I had no business dating. Yep, makes and sense. So, so I actually stopped dating, and so. Yep. So I, I was in this crisis. I personally trusted Jesus to pull me through it. I had a great personal love and trust in him. Sounds like it. But I, but I had no idea how that would be resolved. Mm -hmm. And so, but then I read the fathers. Yeah. And the earliest disciples of the apostles are talking about 
apostolic succession. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're talking about the importance of moral behavior and works in our salvation. And that if we, as Christians, if we, you know, more mortally sin, essentially, then we're endangering our salvation. Yes. They talked about the sacrifice of the Eucharist. I mean, a disciple of the apostle John, St. Ignatius yep. of Antioch, is crystal clear about the sacrifice of the Eucharist being the central act of Christian worship. Right. But I knew that that was something that we Protestants had rejected. That was something on which all Protestants unanimously had rejected the sacrificial nature of the Eucharist. That's true. And yet here it was. Yeah, Protestants are not unanimous on almost anything, but they are unanimous right. in their negations, I yep. would say. And yeah, uh, a few of their negations. Um, and one of them is absolutely the sacrifice of the Eucharist. And so that was when I really was shocked and disturbed and like, I need to get to the bottom of this. Wow. So as I previously explained, my yes. boss had basically said, take, you know, research what you want, take all the time you need, and we'll make it into exhibits after the building's open next year. So I had carte blanche ability with a, with a full-time salary benefits Wow. to read the father's nine to 12 hours a day if I wanted to, <laughs> which I did. I bet and you so, did. <laughs> and I dropped an ungodly amount of money. It was actually a very godly amount of money because I kept thinking that's right. The pearl of great price. Exactly. You know, yep. sell everything you have to get the field, to yep. get the pearl. So sure. but there were a few times where I was like, this is a lot of money. Um, but it was worth it. And so I, I just kept reading, reading, reading. And and the extremely short version is that I saw that the Catholic faith was the ancient faith. Wow. The the ancient Christians took the Catholic faith for granted. They took the reality of one church with one faith and one government for granted. Yes. Um, they took all sorts of things that all or most Protestants had rejected for granted. Apostolic succession, baptismal regeneration was absolutely unanimous. Apostolic succession, absolutely unanimous. Sacrifice of the Eucharist, absolutely unanimous. Yep. Uh, that the saints in heaven pray for us, absolutely unanimous. Uh, veneration of relics, absolutely unanimous. Uh, you know, a million other issues sure. that were, if they weren't, an ab if they weren't absolutely unanimous, they were pretty darn close. And, um, and so I, I realized essentially that Christ had given some very serious promises to his church. Yep. And, and I was looking for the truth. As I said, Jesus said, if you obey my commandments, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. I wanted to know what those commandments were. And if there's a way to know what the commandments are, that's, you're looking for truth, but truth doesn't change. And so did God, uh, in addition to the truth itself, did he deliver a mode by which it could be faithfully passed down over now 2,000 years? Yeah. And I discovered that the fathers had a univocal and clear and unanimous answer. He's like, yes, it's Catholic Church. And so that's the short version. Wow, wow, and wow. How about uh, your understanding? I know you talked a little bit about the, the uh, Mass, but uh, John 6 I'm just asking, yeah. you know, that whole dialogue that went on, did you just buy into the idea that it's obviously not what he what he's saying? It was just a symbol. And yeah, uh, is that pretty much how you understood it? Well, and yeah, when I read that, I didn't really think of it in terms of oh. Catholic versus Protestant, yeah. per se. Yeah. But yeah, I read it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's clearly symbolic. Mm -hmm. But then there was other language. Where I was like, well, that doesn't seem symbolic. But no, it's clearly symbolic because that's what every every wise person yeah. I know thinks. So which, you know, shows that act, and then when I saw what the fathers were saying, very crystal clear about the real presence of yes, Christ in the Eucharist, of uh, I saw that um, the idea we Protestants prided ourselves on the fact that we supposedly 
rejected man-made traditions. Right. <laughs> oh, I knew where you're going. <laughs> and, and I saw that in the fathers, the fathers helped me see that all of us have a tradition. Of course. All of us. And so the question is not, do you have a tradition that helps you understand the Bible? It's, do you have the right one? Amen, brother. You know what I mean? So yes. it's literally impossible to read scripture without a tradition. Right. And so essentially what I realized was, you know, many Protestants are young earth creationists, which is fine. I, I think that's a valid position. It's I, I don't dive into that subject in particular, but they're absolutely dogmatic that it's young earth creationism. Okay, fine. Well, I realized that believing that John 6, where Jesus is crystal clear, explicit, even physical, yeah. re- thinking that was symbolic, but thinking that there had to be a young earth and it was a seven literal days. I think that'd be the key thing, seven literal days. Uh, that was a tradition. Joshua Charles is my guest here on the Terry and Jesse Show. Talk about his walk into the church. We have many more questions for him. Stay with us, family. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Joshua Charles is my guest. I'm at the edge of my chair. For 40 some years, I've been listening to converts tell their story of their walk into the church. I never get tired of it. Why? Because it inspires me. And I'll tell you what it does, Joshua. As a, as, a, as a cradle Catholic, it really shows me that many of us have had amnesia. We forgot our roots of our Catholic faith. And sometimes it takes a, you know, a convert to show us the beauty of our faith. And I think you're, you're doing just that right now. You mentioned the Holy Eucharist, and I assume uh, once you came to understand the Eucharist that now that you're Catholic, time spent before the Eucharist, uh, you, you see the value of spending time with the Scriptures and the Holy Eucharist. Is that a fair statement? Oh, yeah. No, adorations played a yeah. key role Good. in my Good. spiritual life, Excellent. no doubt. Excellent. Now, I have a couple questions about other things. Now, you're in the, you came into the church. How in the world did you deal with Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary? Huh. She came last. Usually Uh, it does. Yeah. So it was very funny. Um, I think it was about October, September, October 2017. I was a few months into reading the Fathers. Yeah. And very intensely. I'm not exaggerating to say it was eight, nine to 12 hours a day. Wow. Um, You know, and I was watching what I was also doing was watching. I was trying to find the best Catholic Protestant debates I I could. So, like, for example, James White. He's I was pretty there for known. it. I was there for James Oh, White. yeah, of course. Of course. So, you know James White. So, <laughs> I would, I, 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 I watched every single one of his debates wow. with Catholics. Because wow. I wanted to make sure I was getting the best counter-argument of possible. And so, I, I was watching a ton of the Journey Home interviews. Yes. Good. Uh, Marcus Grodi. You're a good man. And, uh, but, but, no, it was mostly reading. And so, there was one time... I was getting depressed, quite honestly, because it's yeah. you take truth so seriously. And so when you take truth so seriously to realize you've probably been on the wrong team the whole time. That's depressing. Is depressing I, I get at it. first. I get yeah. it. And, 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 you know, I don't need to go into the details, but there's all sorts of Catholic teaching that is crystal clear. Yeah. Um, that Protestant teaching isn't on various issues. Right. Um, you know, particularly relevant to red-blooded males. I'll put it, it that way. I get it. And, and and so that that was an emotional hang-up as well. For, wow. for it didn't stop me from exploring, but it was it was there. You know, the the, the flesh is real. Sure. Um, and so um, so I but I I was seeing where the, I was seeing the writing on the wall, and so I remember being in my room. It was the evening, and I I looked 
I looked up and I was like, Mary. <laughs> I didn't say Our Lady or, you know, I just like Mary? Mary. I was very sheepish. Yeah. I said, if this is your son's church, can you please provide some sort of confirmation soon? Because this is getting agonizing. A bit. And uh, and then I literally right after I said, oh, if this is your son's church, I'll spend the rest of my life defending it. Yeah. So I had I had just graduated law school. So I kept the language sufficiently vague and broad. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. I like that. <laughs> so so I didn't want to I, I didn't know the full Catholic uh, theology of oaths and vows, but I, I knew enough from law school to be careful. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but then literally right after that, I said, Jesus, if I just committed idolatry, please forgive me. So I, I still wasn't sure, you know. And so, uh, but literally the very next day, I read a quote from a church father. It was from the early 400s. Yes. It happened to be St. Vincent of Larens oh, from yeah, his church. Conatory. Yep. You've probably heard this I one mentioned yep. many times. And it was so astoundingly yep. Catholic. And it was so on point. I think, I think the quote was specifically about Basically, why do we need the authority of the church? It's because otherwise everybody interprets the Bible in a million different ways, yep. and there, the, there's no way to arrive at the truth of what the faith actually is. Yep. I was like, that's literally the issue. And yep. and this is this is not this guy was a, more than a thousand years before Martin Luther. Wow. This wasn't like some medieval, yeah. you know, Catholic trying to hold on to his power or something like that. So anyway, I was like, I wonder if this book is in my collection of the Church Fathers, because I want to read the whole thing that this book, that this quote came from. And sure enough, it was. And I think it was like 30 to 40 pages, you know, fairly small font. But I read the whole thing that night. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I had to set it down multiple times because my heart was pounding. It was incredible. Talking about tradition and yeah. scripture and the authority of the church, basically the three-legged stool. Yes. You know, of scripture, tradition, magisterium. Sure. Uh, he was talking, but it was also scary to me how how he described heretics and how they operate yes. was exactly what I took for granted as a Protestant. Oh, gosh. So again, it's not to put down any of our Protestant brethren. It's just what what I took as normative Christianity. What most Protestants take as normative Christianity. Yeah. This guy, as as did many other fathers. I had already seen glimmers of this in many other fathers. But they all basically said, no, that's that's outright heresy and schism. It has nothing to do with the Christian faith. And so that was shocking. He praised popes yeah. uh, at the beginning and end of his of the work. And so anyway, I got my confirmation after my first request for Our Lady's prayers. And so, um, you know, I did more investigation with her. Uh, but I think there was a quote. I heard uh, uh, somebody say. The quote that really got it for me was Mary is the only one who can speak to God the Father about our son Jesus. Well said. And that that nailed it. That flipped the switch on. I bet. I bet. You know, it's like the and, and then also seeing the father's view of salvation. You know, yeah. Protestantism, again, there's various beliefs in Protestantism, but I think the most prominent and probably the most intellectually rigorous one is Reformed Protestantism, you know, Calvinism. Sure. And they basically believe that when we are justified, when we're made right with God, that this is a legal act yeah. on God's part. So what does that mean? It means God is declaring us righteous, and on the basis of that legal dec declaration, he then regenerates us. Okay. I didn't find this anywhere in the Father. Surprise! <laughs> well, and this is why, this is why even after he regenerates yes. us, if we fall into a state of grave sin— 
because our salvation comes from the justification, the unchanging legal decree, grievous sin cannot affect that justification. It cannot affect that legal status in, in Calvinism. And so, um, and many Protestants believe some form of that. Mm -hmm. So, and I wasn't seeing this anywhere in scripture. Right. So why, why does this lead to Our Lady? Because everywhere, uh, I'm sorry, anywhere in the Fathers, but I didn't see it in scripture either. <laughs> um, but everywhere in the Fathers, they're constantly talking about justification and regeneration together. They're constantly talking about the infusion of God's love, which was a, a key term from the Council of Trent that we Protestants said, you know, had anathematized the gospel. Right. Um, they were talking about how the whole point of the gospel is God transforming us so that we can obey. The whole And justification is an actual change in the creature, mm -hmm. which was the Council of Trent. Mm -hmm. That's what Trent said right. uh, in, 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 in so many words. And so... Um, the question with Mary, how it's connected with Mary is she was the one that allowed that union of divine and human nature. Yep. That's that's how Christ used her. That's how God used her. Um, I mean, and this was also very interesting. All the fathers say that Christ's human, I hadn't even thought of this question. All the fathers said Christ's human nature had come from Mary. Of course. And so then, you know, that leads to all sorts of potentially logical deductions about the Immaculate Conception. Yeah. We don't need to get into that now. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so I was realizing it was in her womb that divine and human nature was reconciled. Wow. Wow. And 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 where where St. Peter talks about we become partakers of the divine nature right. and many of the Eastern fathers, the idea of theosis. Yep. Uh, and we Catholics believe essentially the same thing. That, of course. That, that God sheds his love in our hearts, that we are born again in baptism, uh, that God actually changes us, that we go from being a spiritual wasteland to yeah. a temple, yeah. as St. Paul says. And, and so, um, but that realizing that her womb and her human nature, and to speak in a more 21st century term, her DNA. Yes, that's right. Was was the method God used to bring about that initial union of that's humanity right. and divinity. That was essentially everything kind of flowed from that. And then New Eve, New Ark of the Covenant, of course, new, Revelation twelve, new queen of the Messianic Kingdom. Yeah, exactly. All so. of it. Can I ask you this? Because you you made the same uh, comment that Scott Hahn did almost what is it almost uh, thirty five mm -hmm. years ago to me, saying that. He, he said about Our Lady, he said, if I'm doing something wrong, God, stop me, because he prayed the rosary even before yeah. he came into the church. So what I want to ask is, did because Scott, I think you, you both, in my opinion, and this is just my observation, you both had a very similar approach to you know, saying, I'm going to go wherever the truth takes me. I'm willing to do it. And I'm, I mean, whatever that is. Did Scott Hahn have any influence, I mean, any of his books, recordings, to help you understand the Catholic faith. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I would say our approach was very similar, but Scott started from a much more learned and educated place because he had gone to yeah, right to study. Yeah. But but no, he's brilliant, and Scott has since become a friend. Good, good. Uh, yeah, we're actually working on a book that we're we're publishing next year. So awesome. Um, yeah, so he's he's great. But no, the tape, which I I now know your role and oh. all that. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> so. So yeah, no, Scott, as uh, he's I, not only is he a, a great uh, apologist and evangelist, he's a great man. He is. I, um, I concur with you on that. He's a uh, he's he's a very holy yeah, guy. He's a very holy man. And of course, if he if we were to say that in front of him, oh, he, he would, would deny he it. would be like, oh, oh come no. on. Yeah. 
So, but no, he's a really good man. Yeah. And uh, he, he and his books, Rome Sweet Home, oh, I shared yeah. that with a number of folks. Sure. Um, but also people like uh, Brant Petrie. Oh, Brant great Petrie man. has amazing books. I oh, think yeah. Jew Jesus and the Jewish Roots. Oh. I literally started tearing up several times when reading Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Um, Dr. Dave Anders. Oh, you yeah. You know Dr. Sure. Dave Anders? Sure. His he his interviews on the Journey Home program, oh, yeah. I've actually compiled. I actually went through yeah. three of those interviews and transcribed almost all of it. That's and incredible. put put all of them in one blog entry because I kept sharing them all the time with Protestants. Awesome. I was like, I'll just put it all into one blog entry so I can send it to people so they have the video and incredible. the transcript of the relevant parts. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Amazing. Amazing. Now, I don't know the answer to this question when I ask you this, but you probably see a sign behind me. It says Full Sheen Ahead. Yeah. I yeah. love Fulton Sheen. I went to his funeral. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. I've, I've been promoting Bishop Sheen through Lighthouse. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of recordings have gone around and I hear a consistent theme, whether it's Dr. Scott Hahn, when I gave him Life is Worth Living, he fell in love with Fulton Sheen. So when we come back from the break, I'd just like to know if any of the books, whether it's The World's First Love, Life of Christ, anything that you heard from Fulton Sheen that resonated with you and your faith, I'd like to hear that and much, much more. Harry Barber with Joshua Charles here talking about his walk into the Catholic Church. Who doesn't like a testimony? I do. Stay with us, family. We'll be back with more on the Terry and Jesse Show. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Actually, Jesse's out today. Joshua Charles has been my guest. Fascinating story. Every conversion into the Catholic Church has a fascinating aspect because not everybody comes in different ways. But Joshua, you could tell me that, I mean, if it hasn't affected you, I just want to know if Bishop Fulton Sheen's writings, because I know Dr. Hahn told me that he just was uh, blown away by Fulton Sheen's insights on whether it was the life of Christ where he he takes scripture through the life of Christ. He said the insights were just amazing. But I want to understand, did you watch any YouTube videos of Fulton Sheen? Did you read anything by Sheen? Did you ever oh, have yeah. any recordings of Fulton Sheen? Tell us yeah. about it. No, I, I would say uh, Fulton Sheen didn't play a huge role in, in convincing me. Right. But he has played a, a huge role in deepening. Ah, there you uh, go. That's a good that point. Good distinction. Yes, Yeah, Yeah, and so... Um, I, I, he, any, in, you know, my music background, I, I appreciate his performance art. He's very good. He's a very good performer. Yes, he is. Which, which doesn't mean he's inauthentic. It just means he's good at, um, a solid performance doesn't mean it's inauthentic it, or you're less yourself. It's like you're more of yourself. And, and it's very clear. I was actually just watching his last interview just the other day. That's right. He had some very prescient remarks about many, many things. We played that interview on the Terry and Jesse show. Yeah, yeah. Especially well. about, and I'll just say it right now, it's not getting off the topic, but it is. Fulton Sheen, I'll just mention this, when he met St. John Paul II, the, the great, I call him, uh, months before he passed at St. Patrick's Cathedral, the Pope hugged Bishop Sheen and said, you have spoken and written well of our Lord and Savior. You are a loyal son of the church, and then hugged him. And the reason I bring this up is because he makes points about in the church, we have divine revelation. We have the Pope can't change anything. Uh, he has no power to change the teachings of Christ on the deposit of faith. And he just made that point with whether it was women's ordination 
or uh, contraception. So I, it's just reassuring to hear that because sometimes in the church, even today, uh, we're, you know, there's a lot of confusion on what we Catholics believe. So I thank you for that. So Fulton Sheen just kind of reaffirmed you and your faith. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, and, and he had what I loved about him was he, he could speak very well to modern culture, but he was very grounded in, in the tradition. Yeah. You know, um, oh, go ahead. Now, here's somebody else I, I have to ask. I ask you who's your favorite saint, but Thomas Aquinas, the great yeah. angelic doctor. I have a feeling that you might have studied some things with him. And um, if, if so, what were your impressions? Yeah, I mean, this whole... You know, I kind of thought so. You can, I don't know if you can see it or I not, can't. but uh, it's all Thomas. And really? So, so, so tell us what your what did you love about Thomas Aquinas? Uh, I don't think there's anybody who can say so much with so few words. Well, uh, he, he just has astounding yeah. facility with or, or economy <laughs> of language, yeah. and so, um, you know, and I I think I think on occasion he can be a bit drier than some other saints. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, but once you understand the fullness of his thought, yeah. it, it, at least it became a, you know, to speak somewhat strangely, it became a bit wetter. <laughs> I know. I get it. Now there's, yeah. there's an old saying, good philosophy breeds good theology. Now yeah. I'm going to ask you a question on the morality as a Protestant moral theology doesn't really exist from what I can see. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Correct me. I, I, I'm I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I would. I would, in general, say it's not nearly as developed yeah, as not, yeah, okay. theology. Yeah. So, how did some of the moral theolo theology um, hit you? You touched a little bit about that uh, because the Catholic Church is pretty hardcore about marriage, the purpose of marriage, children, and uh, contraception. I would imagine those must have been challenging topics as a Protestant because. You know, most of my Protestant friends and people I know uh, see things a little differently. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's kind of akin to what I said earlier about yeah. realizing everybody has a tradition. Yes. They, it was the same with this. Uh, everybody has a philosophy. Right. And so there's this there's this common Protestant pretension. Yes. Uh, and I don't mean that as a personal. No, no, I get it's, it. it's a pretense that we are we are somehow transcending tradition we're transcending philosophy and we're just getting right to the text it's like right. no you're not um and if you are this was this was the most disturbing aspect for me if that's really what you're doing then that literally means all preceding christians were wrong because of yeah. all the, which isn't to say there's no disagreement on things in the church there are there's different emphases on all sorts of things sure. but but catholics from the and the fathers were again absolutely unanimous if not nearly so yeah on multiple things that Protestants had rejected. Let me mention one other sure. uh, angle of this you may find interesting okay. is the Jewish angle. Oh, yeah. I did my first trip to Israel in 2013. I've been there five times. Wow. Going again next year. Awesome. Um, and learned a lot from Orthodox Jews. And basically, you know, as Protestants, you're basically taught, oh, the Catholic Church thinks you can earn your salvation through works and blah. blah. And they kind of compare this to the Jews and the Pharisees. And, you know, I think there's a, a valid criticism in there of Talmudic rabbinic Judaism mm -hmm. and, you know, this, this sort of um, external acts are sufficient. Sure. It's not necessarily a change of the soul that, that needs to take place. But, but I basically learned from those Orthodox Jews that the, those are just caricatures yes. of Jewish thought. 
And so it really did make me wonder, man, I wonder if we've caricatured Catholics. I didn't like dive into it a ton at that point, yeah. but, I, but it kind of put the seed in my mind. And I would also ask the Jews, you know, because of course the big gorilla in the room is we don't agree about who Messiah is. Exactly. And so I asked all, and I was like, all right, I know this may be a hard hypothetical. This was very interesting. I said, can't wait. Imagine Jesus was the Messiah, just oh. hypothetical. Ooh, okay. And they were like, okay. I was like, which of the Christian denominations, I wouldn't refer to the church as a denomination now, oh, I which of the Christian denominations strikes you as the most likely contender for his, assuming he was the Messiah? Every single one of them said the Catholic Church. Of course. Every single one. I would of expect them. that. Which shocked me and kind of scandalized me at first, but but then it began to make sense reading the fathers because like, you have priesthood, you have sacrifice, yes. you have oblation. You have authority, you know, yep. in the Old Testament, you know, Protestants commonly, you know, well, you think a man can decide things. It's like, well, yeah, not only do we think it, it's blatantly in the New Testament. It's also in the Old Testament yeah. um, where God establishes an authority for, in Deuteronomy 17. He yeah. says, if there's a disagreement about the meaning of the law, go to the judge and the priest in that day and they will declare what it means to you. And whoever doesn't obey them will be killed. Yep. <laughs> That's what it says. And so. Um, there's many, many other examples from throughout scripture, but yeah. So anyway, I saw that, uh, the Catholic faith was essentially the fulfillment sure. of the Israelite religion. Yeah. And, and in fact, modern Judaism that has rejected our Lord is much more similar to Protestantism. Yes. It's become a very book oriented yep. religion where worship services are much more about the book and sermons about it sure. than an actual offering of a sacrifice. Yep. Uh, so it, my my contact and I have some many many dear Jewish friends and and we have great conversations about this but uh, but my my interaction with Judaism played a big role I think in laying the groundwork because many Protestants love Jews they love Israel, and that's good but it's it actually is kind of tragic to me that um, because they're so disconnected from Christian history and tradition and the consistent utterly consistent that was another thing that shocked me the ca Catholic teaching is very consistent Amen. century after century yep. after century. There's elaborations, there's further details that are filled in as the church faces new questions, new debates. Many of the fathers talk about this. Sure. You know, it's kind of like an individual. As they grow deeper in their faith, they probably express it more sharply, more precisely when they're your age than when they're my age. Yeah, that's right. Or or when they're my age versus when they're a kid, right? Sure. So so that we should expect that if if you're talking about a living organism. And so um, but yeah, the the utter consistency of it all. But then uh, realizing the tragedy that so many Protestants these days are much more likely to accept the biblical input of a rabbi who rejects Christ than a Catholic priest who's simply carrying on literally what Christians have always believed. That's a that's a great tragedy in my mind. And, and it shows, frankly, the extent of the confusion and the error that has taken over. Joshua, you talked about a book with Scott, Dr. Scott Hahn. I'm happy to hear that. But you also have some other considerations and contributions to the faith and evangelization. You started a, a founding of an organization just yesterday. Can you tease us a little bit? Because it's not sure. out the bag, but let's just talk a little bit about that, if you could. Yeah, as you and I talked about, you know, we won't say what it is publicly, say right. the name. We're not ready just quite right. yet for that. Right. Yeah, essentially, um, I have long believed, and I read a book when I was 19, it had a huge impact on me called Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. Yes. Really, really good book. And basically, Postman argued, this is in 1985, so before smartphones and laptops sure. and all that, before really even the internet, at, at least at a mass scale. Right. He basically right. said electronic media was dumbing us down. 
in politics, religion, and education. And I, I think he's right <laughs> in general. It doesn't have to dumb us down, but weak human nature being what it is, it tends to dumb us down. So there's a, that's a very, very important point. Um, so I have always wondered, you know, I'm a, I'm a musician, so I have this very artsy, creative yeah. side to me as well. I have always wondered um, how do we use electronic media and frankly, just beauty yeah. to much better communicate these things. So suffice it to say, the great works of the great tradition, the fathers, sure. the, the Greek and the Roman masters who whose insights were incorporated into the church. And as because of St. Augustine said, truth, no matter where it is, belongs to our master. Um, so we incorporate it. Um, it, it's it, honestly today it only exists in basically bare text on a page it's very boring there's and most people these days we've had multiple generations now that have not been raised on any of this that's right there are many catholics who know nothing about the fathers absolutely right they know very little about the great saints and so but the catholic tradition we also have this profound beauty i mean there are people who go to cathedrals yeah. six seven eight hundred a thousand years after they were built yep. because they're so inspired by the beauty well, a lot of the great works of our tradition are not expressed beautifully anymore. They're not, they're not only are they bare text on a page, but the pages aren't even beautiful. They're right. not even explained. They're not even any of that to say nothing of the fact that they don't exist in any electronic format. So basically what we're hoping to do, and I'll talk about it more once it's finalized, yeah, but well, we, we want to revolute. We want, there's been a media revolution since many of these things were created. They're, they're just in books. But since then, we have audio. We have video. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some of the best artists alive ever. And so we basically want to revolutionize how the great works of the great awesome. tradition are expressed. Wonderful. Joshua Charles, thanks for sharing your story about coming into the Catholic Church. When Thank you, Terry. Our pleasure. When your organization is ready to go, all you got to do is call this knucklehead Terry Barber. He'll, he'll go to <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay, my friend. I will do that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If Jesse Romero was with me, we close every show by asking him a question. I say, Jesse, what state should we be living in? Not Arizona, <laughs> not California, the state of grace. And yeah. so we always say, get to confession often, pray your rosary, make visits to the Blessed Sacrament. There's my rosary. There you go, brother. Good man. And I always say that Our Lady of Fatima's message, she said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. We can participate in the salvific work of Jesus Christ, whether you're 104 years old or four years old. So let's do something for Jesus. Let's do something for a soul by offering some sacrifice every day for the salvation of souls. I want to thank everyone who participated in supporting us here to get the message out. God, which we bless you.